0: Good morning and welcome to High Point Church Online. My name is Andy. I'm the lead pastor here. Great to be with you today, wherever you're streaming from, uh, whether it's a different part of the world, whether it's here in Georgia, around the U.S., thankful to have you here worshiping online today. I've got a little bit of a cold here today, so you might have caught just a little bit of raspiness uh, in my voice. That's okay. We're going to get into the Bible uh, regardless, and it's going to be a great time today. This past summer... I had the pleasure of starting my master's degree. Uh, been, I started in seminary. And so I was in the Philippines. I was in Manila for two weeks. And at the end of this seminary trip, I had a layover in Japan trying to get home. It was a 24-hour layover in Tokyo. And I have to tell you, I was actually pretty psyched about it because, you know, the plane's going to land and I'm going to get to go out into Tokyo and I'm going to get some amazing food and see some sights. I had plans to go to the Samurai Museum I mean come on who's not interested in checking out Samurai right this was going to be incredible so with the plane lands and I, I would get to Tokyo and I discover that I cannot actually leave the airport at all I have to spend 24 hours not in Tokyo but in the airport of Tokyo and I can't go anywhere, so I'm I'm a little bit disappointed, I'm bummed, so I find the airport hotel, only to discover that the hotel is permanently closed until further notice. So now I'm spending 24 hours in the Tokyo airport, can't leave, I also have no place to go sleep. So now, what's my next thing, food. Oh, surprise! vast majority of all the restaurants were closed and I found one that had green tea banana bread that's all I could find so for 24 hours I'm eating green tea banana bread I have no hotel no place to sleep and I'm just wandering around the airport okay I did find a couple other places that sold some candy Uh, so that, that made it a little bit worthwhile. So I find the darkest corner of the airport because I have to go to sleep. And I get to the, the darkest area, and it looks, no, no lie, I felt like I was in a scene of The Walking Dead. It was like a zombie horde of people. And there's literally, uh, clearly I wasn't the only person in this situation. They're just exhausted and shuffling around in the dark area of the airport. And people are laying on the ground, tons of them. So what did I do? I did the exact same thing. I got my duffel bag, I laid it on the ground, I put my head on it, and I tried to go to sleep. And this was my wonderful experience in the Tokyo airport of Japan. And as I was laying there, you know what I thought to myself? I thought to myself, how did I get here? Not, fi- not not geographically, like I know how I got here. I clearly got on a plane and landed here. But how did I get into this position, right, where I'm surprised or I'm stuck with having no place, to, I, I can't get out, I can't sleep, and I have no food. How did I get here, right? Was there some fine print that I missed as I was booking all of my travel information because I saw cheapest flight home and I said book and I got what I got and the reality is that is exactly what happened. Andy missed some of the information that would have been important to know before he landed or before he booked his flight to Japan. How did I get here? That's what's going through my head and the truth is all of us have asked ourselves that question before. How am I here? How did I get in this spot? And most of the time we ask ourselves this question when things aren't going super well. How did I get here? How am I the one who's doing this? How am I the one carrying the responsibility for this? How am I the one that's bearing this load? How did I get here? Sometimes we have relationships, and those relationships are falling apart. They're strained, and it's not what you thought. It's not what you wanted, and you think to yourself, how did we get here? This marriage, that's not going to make it. How did, how did this happen? The divorce that turned toxic, the children that don't want to spend time with mom or dad, or there's infighting, and there's bitterness, or there's, there's resentment. How did we get here? at the bank account and this isn't what I signed up for this wasn't what I was dreaming about how are things so tight as I you know scan the credit card swipe it one more time and I'm racking these numbers up How how did I get here this is the question that many times we ask ourselves and the truth is it's a question we should be asking ourselves on a regular basis. Now, business leader Tom Northup, he says something that's really interesting. He says that every organization is perfectly designed to get the results it is getting. And if you want different results, you must change the way you do things. Now, if this is true for an organization, Can it also possibly be true for how we live and manage our lives? Now, footnote in this sermon. This is important and you've got to hear this. What I am not saying in this moment is that every difficult and tragic and bad thing that happens to you is your fault. I'm not saying that at all. It needs to be heard. Okay? We live in a broken world. Broken things happen. So we all experience brokenness. But what I will submit to you today that we are going to try to find some answers for is that many of the challenges that we face, many of the difficulties and the pains and the conditions that we find ourselves in where we ask ourselves, how did I get here? Many times those situations were avoidable. Many times those situations can very easily be pointed to and traced to decisions that we make. If an organization is perfectly designed to get the results that it's getting, many times our lives are also very well arranged to get the the results and the conditions that we are also getting. One time when we lived in Orlando, I don't know if my, my wife Amy, she may not even know this story, but I used to have a stop sign, like a real stop sign that was in our garage. And on one day, I was driving home and the garage was up and I get home and there's a police officer looking in my garage. I'm like, what's going on? He says, where'd you get this stop sign? Now, right, (laughs) I've never even thought one second about this stop sign, but I got it from my fraternity brothers when I was in a fraternity. And you know what Pastor Randy never even thought one second about is, where did that stop sign actually come from? This wasn't like a Dollar Tree stop sign. This was a real, legitimate stop sign. And the police officer was like, that's a real stop sign. Where did it come from? I'm like, I didn't steal it, I promise. Well, it was stolen from somewhere, right? And, and I began thinking, and I was like, "You here you can have it. And he literally took the stop sign and he drove away. I explained what happened, you know, how I got it, blah, blah, blah. But it got me thinking how many signs, right? There are in our own lives where we, we just, we hit the gas and we just drive on through or we aren't paying any attention, right? And we just miss it altogether. Or there are times when God Almighty is, is flashing signs in our lives and we are literally dismantling them and putting them in our garage, so to speak. We're literally breaking them down in defiance because we don't want to do what God is asking us. To do. How did we get here? That is a great question. And once we can figure out how we got there, maybe we can also figure out how to get Turn to Judges chapter 6, verse 1. The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight, so the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. The Midianites were so cruel that the Israelites made hiding places for themselves in the mountains, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, marauders from Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east would attack Israel, camping in the land and destroying crops as far away as Gaza. They left the Israelites with nothing to eat, taking all the sheep, goats, cattle, and donkeys. These enemy hordes coming with their livestock and tents were as thick as locusts. They arrived on droves of camels, too numerous to count, and they saved until the land was stripped bare. So Israel was reduced to starvation by the midianites the israelites cried out to the lord for help so you have this nomadic tribe of camel riding warriors right this is one of the first instances historically that we have actually of people riding camels in battle midianites are a warrior nomadic tribe and they're riding camels Right? And they are, they're coming in like a horde of locusts. Right, Israel, they've stepped into the promised land and they're trying to occupy it. If you're familiar with the story of God in Israel, he set them free from oppression in Egypt. And he's been leading them to a land of promise, a land flowing with milk and honey, as the Bible tells us. And so Israel is trying to occupy this place that God has given them. And as they do so, they're beginning to farm and they're setting up farmland and crops and their cattle and they're trying to establish themselves. And these tribes, the Midianite tribe in particular, would come in the thousands and they would raid their homes and raid their communities. And if you, if you can't imagine the sheer terror of what that would feel like, I, I, I encourage you to just take a pause for a moment. Think about, you know, you're sitting on your front porch, so to speak, and you see the dust cloud off in the distance and you know who it is. You know who it is. Kids in the house, spouse in the house, or family out, tiling, out working the land. Your heart's hammering. Maybe it's the nighttime and you see the torches, the campsite that's being made. You see this, you hear the shouting. You hear the, the drinking, right? The the just the the the, the wildness of these just marauding, uh, ruthless and cruel people. And they take what they want to take. And to make matters worse, what they leave behind, they destroy. And while we're talking about, you know, crops and we're talking about livestock and cattle, I mean, let's just be honest. There's probably more that's being taken in this moment as well. Okay, It's almost certainly violent. And you can't say anything because if you do, you die. And so over the course of seven years, You begin to hide things in caves, knowing that these tribes are coming. You're probably hiding kids. You're certainly hiding food. You're hiding things of value. And this is your life. Do you think that maybe people ask themselves, God, how on earth did we get here? Aren't you the God of promise? Isn't this the promised land? How am I here? And they begin to cry out to God. And what God does in this moment is, and throughout the book of Judges, might I add, right? this entire book of the Bible is designed for us to see God's faithfulness, that we would see God raising up a deliverer who rescues his people, and it's designed to lift our eyes that we might see a future deliverer who ultimately rescues his people, and that deliverer is Jesus. But there is also another pattern that we should see in this moment, and that is humanity's repeated ability to simply walk away from obeying God. What, is judges, what, is it, what, what do we see in the first verse? That they did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And so God, in, in, as, as Israel would cry out to Him, after He would allow them to experience difficulty and hardship, it would bring them back to God, and they would remember Him, and they would begin to pray. And that's what's happening here. Only God does something different. Right here, He sends a prophet. We don't know His name. It's anonymous. This is what he says in verse seven. When they cried out to the Lord because of Midian, the Lord sent a prophet to the Israelites. And he said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I brought you up out of slavery in Egypt. I rescued you from the Egyptians and from all who oppressed you. I drove out your enemies and gave you their land. I told you, I am the Lord, your God. You must not fear the gods of the Amorites. Your translation might say, worship the God of the Amorites in whose land you now live. But you have not listened to me. A prophet is sent to Israel and that prophet recounts God's goodness and his faithfulness, and he reminds them of the conditions that God set forth before his people, don't fear the gods of these nearby lands. Don't fear them. Don't worship them. But you have not listened. You simply haven't listened. Israel, look at what God has done. Look how he set you free. Look how he brought you through oppression from Egypt. Look how he provided for you in the wilderness. Look how he's given you land. Look how he's taken care of you. Look here. Look there. Look here. Look there. You have this giant track record of God showing up and showing out and God being faithful. How on earth are you in the place that you are in? How did you get here again? How did you get here? And we read these stories and we think to ourselves, these people, what is wrong with them, right? Sometimes we read the Old Testament and there is this amazing spiritual disassociation that we have where it just feels like these old stories. We're like, wow, these people, they just cannot seem to get it together, can they? And yet how many times in your own life, what is the track record of God's goodness and God's faithfulness in your life? I bet if you took out a piece of paper and you just began to write down all of the things that God has done in your life, you would be amazed at how easily you could articulate God showing up here, God showing up there, God showing up here, God doing this, God doing that, God, 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 God being God. And yet, how many times do you struggle To continue trusting Him, moving forward, even though He has shown Himself to be faithful time and time and time again. You and I are not different from God's people here in Judges chapter 6. We do the exact same thing. How did Israel get there? How did you and I get here? The answer is the same. We did not. Listen. And specifically, what were we supposed to listen to? God says, Don't fear the gods of the Amorites. Now, like I said, your translation might say worship. The better translation is actually fear. It's the same word that God uses when He reminds His people, Don't be afraid, have courage. Right? This is an actual legitimate fear. This is, it's less worship and raising my hands and more I have concern for what you might do if I do not pay homage to you. There's a little bit of unnerve, you know, some nervousness in my soul. And you might be thinking because we tend to have spiritual disassociation when we read the Bible. You're thinking to yourself, well, this doesn't really, that's not me. What am I afraid of? I'm not afraid of, of the gods of the Amorites. And so here we have this story where we've got a people who are farming. Most of you are probably not farmers. Most of you that are watching aren't worried about, most of you aren't worried about tribes coming, right? And and pillaging your home or pillaging your crops. You're not hiding things in caves. And you're not in a culture, if you're in the West, for the most part, you're not in a culture that you're, you're steeped in people setting up shrines in their home with idols and bowing down to worship them. That's a polytheistic culture. So all of these factors contribute to an environment where you're like, okay, great story, moving on. And yet I would propose to you that in the same way God is looking at Israel and saying, don't be afraid of the gods of the Amorites, the gods of the people around you. There are gods, even though they don't show up in little wooden idols that you create a shrine to in your home, there are gods in our culture that we absolutely bow down to. And if you're not careful, if you're not paying attention, you will live in fear of those scenarios and those situations. I am the Lord your God. You shall not. The gods of the Amorites, the gods of the people around you. So, what does that look like for us? I mean, let me explain how this breaks down. If you are a Christian, if you've put your faith in Jesus, maybe you have, maybe you haven't as you're watching this. I want to invite you to, and we'll give you that opportunity at the end of service. But if you have, right, then there is a a holiness and a following of God, right? He is to be the only God in your life. And yet what happens time and time again is we find ourselves in situations, in conditions where we don't want to listen to God, we don't want to trust God, and we don't want to obey God. And the reason we don't want to do those three things is because of the outside pressures and forces and gods of the world around us. Let's talk about relationships for a minute. It's almost unheard of, even in Christian communities, for people to maintain sexual purity before they get married. You have a conversation with people about that, and it's like, you're doing what? Like, it's, it's, it's crazy. It's, it's, it's out of this world, right? And yet it's actually a common theme literally from beginning to end with the Bible in terms of how God's people would live, that they would trust Him in this area, that they'd follow Him in this area, that purity would be something of value in your life. And yet what happens in a relationship, time and time again as I'm pastoring people, right? This is a common conversation where I am afraid That my relationship will lose its fire and its passion because that's what the world tells you maintains all of your relational passion is sex. And the truth is that is not the foundation of, of a godly relationship. Is it a part of it? Yes. Is it great? Also yes. But in the context of marriage. And so what happens? People just compromise out of fear. The fear of what, what is my family going to think if I tell them that I'm not doing this? What will my friends think if I tell them that we are upholding purity? They're going to think we are absolutely crazy. And yes, they might actually think that. And that's part of it. The testimony of your life being different because you value God and His Son Jesus is powerful. And yes, there's desire and yes, there's there you know, people just want to. I get that also. But many times there's the few, the relationship's going to crumble, the relationship's going to go away, what are people going to think? All, all this and so we don't trust God in this area because we're afraid. Here's another one. Relationships are always easy to to use as an example. So is money. I mean, the Bible The Bible talks about where you know the 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 passions of your heart lie, right? Where where your treasure is, there your heart is, right? And in beginning to end of the Bible, we see this spiritual principle that Jesus even says verbatim: "You're more blessed when you give than when you receive." We see God giving His one and only Son, right, to humanity. We see Jesus giving His life. We see God's commands literally in bringing sacrifice to him and generosity and the overflow of abundance. And we see the early church after Jesus has risen from the grave, we see uh, the, the joyous body of people. Part of what has produced this exuberance of joy is exuberant giving and passionate generosity. We see all of these dots connected. We see God commanding his people to give a tenth, a tithe. That is absolutely a command in the Bible. But even if you disagree theologically with me on that, you can't get away from the fact that the Bible embraces sacrificial, spirit-filled generosity. And most of the time, that's actually more than a tithe. But we'll talk about that later. So we know these things to be true. And yet, when it comes time to give and to bring your first fruits and to bring your offering, how many times do we keep it to ourselves or we don't bring our best or we don't bring generosity? And why don't we do it? Because we're afraid. We're afraid that if we take that money and we give it here, we're never going to get ahead. I'm never going to be able to pay that debt down. I'm never going to be able to. I'll never this, I'll never that. What's at work here? Fear. And it is the fear of what the world tells you you have to have or how you're going to get your needs met or how it's going to be arranged and all this. And God is bigger than that. And he promises you things, but are you going to listen to him? Are you going to trust him? And are you going to obey him? Over and over and over and over again, we have the opportunity to listen, to trust, and to obey. To literally look at God's promises in the Bible and, and choose to follow Him, or we're going to, how did we get here? Right? Because we refuse to listen, we refuse to trust, and we refuse to obey. In my own life, I can see the pattern. Just about every time. And so God's answer for yes, why are you here? Well, it's because we're not listening, we're not trusting, we're not obeying, but how do we get out of here? Well, you obey, you trust, you listen. You listen, you trust, you obey. It's actually very simple, even though at times it can feel quite difficult. And so here we are. Jesus says it like this. If you remember in the New Testament, in Matthew, and throughout the New Testament, he says, whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. There's that listening thing again. And Jesus isn't literally just saying, use your ears. He's literally saying like, hey, if you will trust me, then do this. And Jesus' very own brother In the book of James says, don't just listen to God's word, you must do what it says. Listen, trust, and obey. Sounds real easy. Sometimes it's not. And I get it. And I'll, I'll leave you with this example because sometimes in these moments, you know, we have we have this, okay, you know. We kind of Christianize things, right? Okay, listen, trust, and obey. Okay, that sounds like a song, you know? Or, okay, great, like, wonderful, Pastor Andy. But how do I actually do that? I'm struggling to do it. And so sometimes just understanding visually what this can look like. And I realize some of you, you know, you've never, some of you don't swim, some of you've never jumped off the diving board. And some of you have definitely not jumped off a high dive before. If you ever jumped a high dive? It's scary, okay? You ever been cliff diving before? It, it's nerve-wracking, right? But it, sometimes trusting God, it looks a little bit like this, in that when you're at the edge of that cliff or on the edge of that diving board, your heart is just hammering, is it not? You're petrified. You are terrified. You know where you need to get. Right? How am I here? Well, we climbed up the ladder and I got here and blah, blah, blah. But where I need to get, I'm still not actually there. How do I get there? Right? I'm terrified. I'm sweating. I'm all the things, right? It doesn't matter how many people come and talk to you and just say, oh my gosh, it's so, it's wonderful. It's great. Just jump. You're going to love it. It doesn't, logic does not prevail in this moment. It doesn't matter who talks to you. And that's why your pastor just telling you what to do sometimes isn't enough because logic and rational thinking doesn't always work when we feel afraid. But you know what instantly happens? You're afraid. The edge of the cliff is right here. You finally make up your mind, I'm going to trust God in this moment. I'm I'm afraid, I'm afraid, I'm afraid, I'm afraid, I'm afraid. I'm afraid, and then I actually jump. And you know what's gone the second you actually make the step over the cliff? Your fear. You're not actually afraid as you're flying through the air, hurtling towards the water. The fear is actually gone behind you, and the fist pump is in the air, and the hoorah and the woo! That's what's taking place. You're no longer crippled and paralyzed by fear that had you in its grip just a second prior at the top. What was the difference? Obedience. It was actually stepping in and doing what you knew you had to do. When it comes to giving, when it comes to relationships, when it comes to purity, when it comes to even sharing your faith, and I'm gripped by fear, and I'm gripped by the the gods of the Amorites around me. How am I going to get out of this place? How did I get here? I need to listen. I need to trust, and I need to obey. Well, it starts with you actually taking a step and doing what God has asked you to do. You've got to do it. You've got to jump off that cliff, and when you do, that fear is gone. That's how we do this. That's how we follow God in this moment. That's how we trust Him in this moment. It's what it looks like. How did you get here? Probably the same way I got wherever situation I'm in, I didn't listen. I didn't trust. I didn't obey. So how do I get out? I listen. I trust. And I obey. And I literally take those steps in faith and let God meet me there. That's my encouragement to you today, church. As we look at following God 2022, believing His best, and asking Him to use us powerful ways. Let's pray. Father, thank you in this moment, Lord, for being a God that doesn't give up on us. Lord, time and time again, we struggle with trusting you and hearing from you and and obeying you, but God, you, you don't give up and you continue to move and you continue to meet us. And God, even today, I'm asking that you would do the same. God, wherever we are, whatever place and condition we find ourselves in, help us have the trust and the ears and the willingness to obey you. Ears to hear, a heart to obey. God, help us to do it. It's in your name that we pray, amen. Church, it's great to be here with you this morning. I encourage you, trust him, step out. Follow'. Him. See you right here next week.